Let me read from uh, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and tie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You remember as a kid, you played hide and seek, and you would hide your eyes and count. And always, you know, I'm sitting in early service. Now, if you be honest, now be honest with me. You always skip some numbers, didn't you? I mean, you got count to 20, 5, 10, 15, 20, and here we go. I mean, and so you count your, 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 you close your eyes and you count, and then you say those immortal words, ready or not, here I come. I suppose that in the, um, this season of the year, you can hear the spirit of Christmas saying, ready or not, here I come. The next few weeks will be filled with activities, parties and shopping and trips to Santa. I heard about a grandma who took her child, her granddaughter, to, to visit uh, Santa and do some shopping. And the little girl waited uh, patiently as grandma uh, made purchases and checked out at the counter and she watched and waited. And then it came time for her to, to visit Santa. And so she politely told Santa all that she wanted for Christmas. And as she was getting down from off his lap, he, he handed her a candy cane. And the grandma said, oh, honey, what do you say? And she looked a little confused and thought about what she had observed to grandma. And then this light came on and she said, oh, charge it. Now, I, I suppose that in the next few days, you'll be saying those words a lot. I think that, that women are the most conscientious about the nearness of Christmas. They get a little bit more stressed out. I, someone said that you can def, a man defined is a creature who buys his football ticket three months in advance and his Christmas gifts the night before. Uh, ready or not, uh, here I come. The Christmas demands some preparation and that's the way it ought to be because that first Christmas, before that first Christmas arrived, there were thousands of years of preparation. Something like that Something that important takes some getting ready for. Henry Van Dyke calls the birth of Christ the sunrise of the Bible. He said to, that, to this point, the aspirations of the prophets and the poems of the psalmist move. And from this point, there flows softly into the world a new day, a day of faith and freedom, a day of hope and love. And when we know and remember the meaning of this high life that came into the world and the light that floods from Bethlehem's manger, 
Is it any wonder that all of humanity reckons history from the birth of Jesus and counts all events both before and after the nativity of Christ? Something like that requires some getting ready for. In fact, the scripture says, in the fullness of time, he brought, she brought forth her child. Now that word fullness, it comes from a maternity word. It, it really refers to the, the exact moment when pregnancy has been fulfilled and childbearing is about to take place. In the precise moment when everything was finished with regard to preparation, Jesus came. What does it mean in the fullness of time? Religiously, it means that the Jews had given, had developed a clear understanding of monotheism, that is, the one God idea. Culturally, it meant that Alexander, centuries before, had spread the Greek language to most civilized society. Therefore, all of the world, for the most part, could speak the Greek language, and thus the gospel had a means of communication. Governmentally, it meant that the Romans had established a system of government that allowed the gospel to grow in relative stability. And geographically, it meant that the Romans had built these roads and highways over which the missionaries would travel and take the message of the birth of Christ in the fullness of time. Do you suppose that as Alexander spread his culture across the known world, he had any idea that God was using him to prepare them for the birth of Jesus? And do you suppose that Julius Caesar, when he was developing these highways, had any idea that God was using him to build a highway for the coming of the King of Kings? And do you suppose that Caesar Augustus, when he decreed that all the world would be taxed and everybody would go to his hometown for the taxation, had any idea that God was using him to fulfill an ancient prophecy that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? No. Thousands of years before John the Baptist came crying, get ready for Christmas, get ready for the birth of Messiah. Thousands of years prior to that, God was getting the world ready for Christmas for something that eventful takes some getting ready for. Now the question that you might have is, how can you get ready for Christmas? I mean, after you've done your Christmas shopping and you've bought all your you know, uh, ingredients for all that good cooking and all that good stuff, how do you get ready for Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to help you. Now, in 1980, I, I did a sermon from here on uh, how to make this the most meaningful Christmas, and I gave some suggestions and asked people just to choose one. Um, somebody was listening on the radio. Somebody reminded me after the morning service that it was Mrs. Badger, recently gone to be with the Lord. But she heard that sermon on the radio and wrote, to the letter, wrote a letter to the editor and said, Reverend Tidwell said that we need to do these things to get ready for Christmas. I thought it was pretty, pretty, pretty special. I mean, my own church members didn't even write it down. Somebody listening on television wrote the letter to the editor. So I'm going to rehash those with you, and I want to challenge you to do one thing. I want to challenge you to pick out one of these things, write it down, 
and do it between now and Christmas. And I promise you that if you do, you'll be ready for Christmas when it comes. Number one, find some area in your life that is out of tune with the spirit of Christmas or out of concert, out of step with God. Ask Jesus to come and help you overcome it. Now after all, isn't that what Christmas is about? For the angel said to Mary, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now they wanted someone to come and save them from their bondage and their oppressors. But Jesus came not to save the Jews from their oppressors. Jesus came to save the Jews from their sins. Now it may, may, may be that you have some bitterness towards somebody. It may be that you have been omitting something that God has wanted you to do in your life and you've never done it. It may be that you have an attitude or a habit that you've been trying to lay aside and to break. Ask God, ask Jesus to come and help you overcome that. Find something in your life that is out of step with God. Ask Jesus to come and help you overcome it. There will be some reparation that has to be made. There may be some phone calls that have to be made, some letters that have to be written, some I'm sorry's that have to be said. But I guarantee you, if you try that one, you'll be ready for Christmas. All right, number two. I see you didn't, you didn't shine, take shine to that one. We'll try number two. Think of somebody that you don't like, or better still, think of somebody that doesn't like you. Uh, it's going to be hard to find somebody that doesn't like you. I know that. But think of somebody that doesn't like you and do something special for them at Christmas time unannounced. For after all, isn't that what Christmas is about? Isn't Christmas the news that God's love is such that it's kind to someone even when that someone is wrong? So you find somebody who doesn't like you or you don't like and between now and Christmas you do something nice for them. It'll kill them. I mean it'll shock them. And they'll wonder who, who did it. And they'll They'll spend their Christmas trying to figure out who did this. Okay, number three. Take the money that was going to be spent on you and, buy, and use that money to buy something for somebody who really needs it. Now the whole idea of Christmas is that God sacrificed. That's what we're talking about, sacrifice. He left his throne and his kingly crown when he came to earth for us. And what he decided to do was that he would decide to lay aside those privileges that are attendant to divinity and become as a servant, a pauper really, and give everything up for somebody else. Now this can become a family thing, although I don't want you to go home and say, okay kids, nothing for Christmas this year. I've decided we're going to take our money and give it to the poor. I'm, don't do that. But it might become a family affair. It did in a little church that I pastored when I was in, in the uh, seminary. I, I did, uh, my preaching professor did this sermon and so I went home and, you know, as most seminary students did, reproduced. You know what we heard on <laughs> in preaching class to our church members, practiced on them. 
And, and this lady came up to me after church. She said, I want to do that. I want to do what you just said. And when she went home and shared that with her children, they got into the act. And they said, we want, this is what we want to do. We want to buy the tree, decorate the tree, help the little children, poor folks, decorate the tree. We want to furnish the meal and cook it. And we want to get the presents for the kids and the parents. Big project. I knew exactly who to recommend. For I'd met a family that had a little, that had nothing really to eat much. They didn't have much to eat, nothing to wear. And they, the night I visited them, they were cooking on a bucket in the center of this little house. They had their food on a grill and a bucket with a fire going, open fire. And so they went to work on this project. Now, the family had decided prior to Christmas time that they were going to buy one big, have one big Christmas gift, and that was a pool table. And the kids now, believe this or not, they're about four big strapping boys, they said to their mother and dad, let's just get something simple and, not, and, and we'll take the money that we're going to spend on that, that uh, pool table and do it for these people. And they did. And after Christmas was over, they came up, they came to our house, Margaret and verify this story, and they said, we did what you said, number three, and it's absolutely most exciting Christmas we have ever experienced. Now you know what you've been, you know, hinting around, and your kids have probably already asked you for money to give you something. I mean, take that money. That, that's not that the way it works. You know, give me some money. What do you want that money for? I don't buy you something. You know, for Christmas. Now, you've probably already given your kids something. You, you take that money and you spend it on somebody that really needs it. I mean, that's what Christmas is about. Okay, you like that one? All right, number four. I see some no's on that one. You know, I've been, I've been working all for 14 years getting people to say yes like this, and I looked out here, and they were going, uh-uh, no, no. Okay, all right, n number four. This Christmas, when you're giving gifts, give the best gift you can give. Give yourself. Now, I'm not talking about saying to God, okay, Lord, here's my life. What I'm talking about is giving the gift of time to somebody like your children. Now, what you might want to do is just take an envelope and write on it, one day, the, the, one day of month, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to spend with you, son. We're going camping or whatever. Put it in a little box. There'll be 12 of them, and you hang them on a tree, and the kids open up 12 boxes, and it says, one day a month. I'm spending just you and me. Or you might just put in a little envelope, hang it on the tree. Three hours a week, I'm going to direct, I'm going to focus just on you. It's just you and me, just together. And those uh, mothers who are forced to work, you might just say, well, I'm going to give some time. I'm going to take some time to spend with my children that I'm having to use, you know, to spend in this work that I'm forced to do. I, you know what I'm talking about? It's the giving of, of one's self. For after all, isn't that what Christmas is about? Isn't Christmas about not just the giving of a gift, but the giving of one's self? I mean, it's easy to go into a department store with a little plastic and buy a present, give that to your children, but giving them the gift of your time. It may be that you'll want to make some visits to the homebound. Now watch this, listen to this story. I, I read this story in Guidepost magazine about this guy who had a religious experience and he wanted to do something special. So he decided that one thing he could do was he could go once a week to a local nursing home and visit a, a shut-in. 
So he knew the folks running the nursing home. So he went down there and he asked those people, is there somebody here that doesn't have a family that I can visit? They said, we know, we, we know exactly the person. They said, this lady, as far as we could tell, she's lived with us for years. She's a ward of the state. This lady has lived here, and as far as we can tell, for all the time she's here, she's never had a family member visit her. We understand she's from an abusive situation. She grew up in abuse and uh, became literally a, home per, a homeless person, a lady of the street, uh, wandering around the streets. And, and we have her in this nursing home for the last years of her life, and as far as we know, there's never been anybody to see her. So that's the person he chose. The first visit he had, she never said a word. It's just kind of like a monologue going on. He was talking and she was just sitting there, just never even answered a question. Totally, total block, just totally shut out. And so he just kept going back. He didn't give up. And finally, there was this wonderful breakthrough. She said one word, a three-letter word, yes, to a question. And for a little while, it was like answering the questions, you know, yes or no or something like that. But as the time progressed, every week he just went at the same time. So she started looking for him. They began to talk. And this conversation began to develop, and they, they began to share with one another. And finally, he broached the subject about her relationship with the Lord, and she accepted Christ. And one day, she got real sick, and she went, he went by to see her. And as he started to leave, she reached out her bony little scrawny hand and caught his arm and said, I'd like for, I'd like for you to do something. I'd like to do something that I have never done with any other person. He said, well, what is it? She said, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this and ask you this, but I have never, ever kissed anybody. I want to kiss you. And he put out his arms, and he took that lonely, little frail woman into his arms, and they held this long embrace and she kissed him just softly on the cheek. And he said that as she kissed him, he could feel her tears running out of her eyes onto his face. And they helped one another for a long time. And then he left. In a day or two, she died. Having met a friend and having come to know a friend forever that she would meet in heaven, she went away. Now, perhaps there is somebody that would just be thrilled to have some time he would spend. That's number four. Number five. Now, I know most of you this morning, perhaps some of you are watching on television, um, would not identify, could not identify with this, but most of us here have come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. We know Him as our Savior and Lord, and we've come to meet Christ, and, and, and we know God in a personal way through Jesus Christ. But here's number five. Discover this Christmas what it means to know the joy of knowing God personally through His Son. Now what Christmas is about is the giving of, him, of oneself in order that one might know God personally because 
religion, whatever it is, religious faith is coming not to a church with an elaborate you know, uh, ritual, but it is coming to know God in Jesus Christ as a friend, as a Savior, as one who loves you. Now, Al Olson came, you know, shared his testimony last week, a beautiful testimony. He said he began to search for the Lord and he found him at Christmas time. Now, what, else, what could be greater than to, to come to know what it means to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Now, why is it so important? The question might be, why is it so important that we get ready for Christmas? Well, I think there are two reasons. I'll brush them, then they'll refer. I think, first of all, is because we may miss Christmas if we're not ready for it. Now, there are all kinds of stories that swarm around the Christmas event like bees around a honeycomb, but I, and I know most of them and I've told most of them, but I, I was reading uh, you know, one about, I've never, I've never shared before, about a guy who was working in a, uh, in a uh, lending institution, I guess a bank or something, and, and it was Christmas Eve and everybody was leaving to go home and they were going to lock up and he went inside the vault for some reason or another and some guy shut the door to the vault. You got employees like that, you don't come along and wham. And, and, and that, that, that vault door lock had a timer on it. They couldn't get it open. The guy didn't even know he was in there, but nobody knew he was in there, but the door would, couldn't, you couldn't open the door because it was on timer until the next day, the day after the next day, which would be the day after Christmas. So after he decided that he had enough ventilation to get air and he wasn't going to suffocate, he just sat down and said, well, Make the best of it. I'm here for the holidays. <laughs> now, he, he was single. He didn't have a wife or kids, you know, to keep up with him. But he did have siblings and he did have parents. And he was going to their house for Christmas. They, they called in, you know, the all points bulletin. Everybody's looking for him. He was holed up in a bank vault for Christmas. And when the timer went off at the day after Christmas, December the 26th, and they opened the door, out walked the man who had missed Christmas. How many Christmases have you missed? Now, I'm not talking about those of us who, you know, uh, may have been off somewhere in the far-flung islands of the earth and weren't with your family, you know, for Christmas. But, you know, you can miss Christmas. You, you, you know that, don't you? I mean, you can get so involved in all that surrounds it that you can miss it. I mean, how many Christmases have you missed? And the reason why we miss Christmas, for the most part, is, is that we're not ready for it when it is here. And the second reason why it's so important that we get ready for Christmas is because some of us, some of us need the joy and the blessing and the thrill of Christmas because it's gone. I mean, some of you, by the time you get to this year, to the end of this, to this season, there have been so many things that have gone on in your life that have just literally wiped you out. And you're burned out, and you're cold, and you're indifferent. Dr. Bird has a great sermon entitled Gray Hearts, and he quotes a poem in there. It says, I am now ashes where once I was fire. The soul in my bosom is dead. 
the things I once loved I now merely admire, and my heart is as gray as my head. I don't know who wrote that, but I could have. For the, by the time we get to this season, if not prior to it, it's certainly after it's over, we are so burned out and weary. Now there's a difference between being tired and being weary. The Bible talks about being weary and well-doing. Some of us are like that. We've lost the thrill. The joy is gone. And we're, we've lost heart, we've lost interest, we want to quit. And if anybody in the earth needs what Christmas brings, it's us. And there's a sadness because we have known a better way. And there is a despair because some of us have drifted a long way from the Father's house. We don't know how to get back. And some of us have lost our first love. Oh, we still love, but the power and the fire and the passion and the devotion is gone. And we still have faith, but not the bold, daring, courageous faith and belief that we say we have. And we still pray, but our prayers are forced and formal. They're not the outburst of a heart full of joy and love. And we still sometimes witness, but there's no real enthusiasm as we talk about Jesus, as you would talk about a lover. And we still serve him, but our heart's not in it. I know you can identify with that. And all of us need the touch of the thrill of that first Christmas. Our hearts are gray. And there's nothing sadder than coming to the end of life or the end of a year and realize that you're not what you ought to be and you're not what you said you would be. I mean, we've made so many promises at the first of this year which meant so much to us and they're just promises broken. Like Rossetti, the British artist, man went to his studio with some specimens of his painting, an old man, for him to comment on. And when he looked at them, he, he saw they were no good. But he didn't want to hurt the old man's feelings, and so he said stuff about them that really wasn't too brutal. And then the old man reached into his bag, and he pulled out some more sketches, and he said, these sketches were done by a young man. And when he looked at them, man, he, he got excited. There was potential. There was promise. There was... There was beauty in those paintings of the young man. Then the old man said, Sir, I was the student who painted those. There's nothing any sadder than coming to the end of life or the end of a year and realize that all that we've said we would do, we haven't, and all we promised we would be, we haven't, and we come to the end of this year and we see the fact that We've lost it. Well, you see, flames have a way of dying out. And lights have a way of dimming. 
And plants have a way of withering. And rivers have a way of dwindling. And Christians have a way of getting cold and indifferent and stale. But it doesn't have to be that way. For flames can be rekindled again. And lights can be brightened again. And plants can be watered to come to life again. And dwindling streams can overflood their banks again. How is it? Well, when you want God more than you want anything else. And so in this barren world, they waited on tiptoe for somebody to come and say, Messiah, get ready, he's on his way. Fix the roads, he's coming here. And all joy broke out, and heaven rent with the excitement of it because in the anticipation of God, they wanted more than anything else. They found the answer. And in the words of the carol, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, be born in my heart. It goes like this. We hear the Christmas angel their great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, be born in us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Are you ready for it? What do you need to do to get ready? Let's pray. Our Father, Grant us in this moment of invitation to do that which, to have the courage to do that which would not only bring back to us what we've lost, but would glorify you with our life. For I ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, listen. You may want to come this morning because there is a need that can only be met in public decision. Or you may want to come today because there is a condition that can only be healed at this altar. I invite you to come while we stand to sing.